In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. He used to shop on Greenwich Ave. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath that is coming. You should bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, Oh, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able to tell these stones and raise them up as children of Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with just water. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to even carry his sandals. He won't baptize you with water. He'll baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Our reading comes from Matthew chapter 3. So uh, I'm not really... Something horrifying happened Uh, at my home this week, my mom told me she found the VHS tapes of us when we were kids. And uh, do you remember when people used to carry, like now we carry our phones, but people used to carry like it looked like a news uh, crew was in your house and it would be a wired camcorder and it would be like your stepdad recording home videos of you opening presents on Christmas. Well, my mom has found all of these and uh, she, I, I, I don't know that she knew we weren't just using it for Christmas, but uh, on the side, we were, my sisters and I were recording uh, talk shows, and I was Phil Donahue, uh, you know, interviewing my crazy sisters, and we'd make up all these shows, and we would do karaoke, and even there's some WWF in there, too. And... Uh, You know, back then, we were obsessed with capturing these moments. It was a little more uh, cumbersome to carry these big things around, but we had them, and we have a whole... It it was a box. There's always a box that's hidden away with all these tapes. Uh, And it's nice when you can look back. uh, Not nice when you're a reverend, um, but... You know, you could go back, and my mom still has these boxes of pictures that are all labeled from every year. Now it's all on my phone. But it's nice that we have these things, these exact pictures of exact moments. We have recordings. There's no question. It's very clear what was happening in here. Sean was doing a body slam to a sister on on a mattress, of course. Now, if only I could take, if I had a VHS box of videos from the Bible, 
How nice would that be? Then every Christmas I could just pull out the VCR, we'd put a screen up here, and we'd watch the nativity happen as it is. Right? No questions asked. We'd see it as clear as day, that magical moment, all recorded. I mean, I'm sure Joseph and Mary would have had some home videos of Jesus growing up as a kid. Maybe he did a talk show too. And I bet that if we had some actual recordings, some photos, some of the division that religion has caused in this world, maybe it wouldn't be there. I bet there would be so many, so much less denomination, so much less division if we could just see for ourselves exactly what was going on. Because it is the fact that we don't have a clear picture of what exactly was happening in this big book. Oh, it's not there anymore. In the Bible, it's because of the, the vagueness of the imagery. It's because it, leads, it, it requires us to have some of our own imagination that all of this opinion and all of this interpretation has caused so much strife. I wish we had it on video. I wish I had a picture of it. But we don't. And that's the problem with history. It's there in the books, but it always is written through the eyes of the writer. A writer who themselves might be distant from that time and story and event. A writer is trying so hard to capture what a camcorder or photograph might do. And scholars do their best to put stories together uh, that we can read on all these subjects. And directors do their best to tell the story with movies. When you read, listen, or watch history, you're reading how somebody recorded that story. Just like our camera records and sees what it sees and is uploaded to some magical cloud or some kind of technology, we are tapping into an ancient technology when we look at history before VHS, before uh, uh, cameras and phones. We're tapping into the ancient technology of storytelling. I saw a picture uh, on Wired. It's a kind of tech journal. Uh, and people were, somebody wrote an article about how at the end of parties... Uh, it's sad that all these adults just go on their phones and look at their phones now. And then somebody posted a picture of what the train looked like uh, in the 80s. And instead of phones, all the people had newspapers, and they were just staring at that. And uh, They're saying, not much has changed. We're just people who like to look at stuff. You see, VHS, USB, reading, writing... These were all technologies and are technologies for passing information along. In the past, we couldn't record a video, so they would write it down. But going back even further, many people couldn't read or write. But we know they wanted to pass along information. They wanted to pass along their story to the generation after them. I mean, imagine having no history. That would stink. So how did they pass information along? People back then would tell stories. 
They would sing songs. They would make up rhymes, plays, and all sorts of other memorization devices to help them remember the important things people needed to know. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Do you guys know what that is? PEMDAS. Thank you, Max. Order of operations. We all might remember this from school, PEMDAS. It's parentheses and let me exponents. There's a reason we had to have this because you don't start with parentheses, multiplication, addition, math, subtraction, whatever. Because kids don't get that. You start with PEMDAS. You start with please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, this mnemonic device. I still remember it. I used to be, I used to be a math tutor, actually. But I'm not good at it anymore, so don't ask me. Uh, but I do remember PEMDAS. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. But imagine I just taught you, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, in first grade. And every year after that, I said, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, second grade, third grade. Never asked you to do any math, just taught you that. Fifth grade, ninth grade, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. After a while, you might say, how much do I have to excuse my dear Aunt Sally? She's not that dear anymore. And you may eventually say, you know what? I know my dear Aunt Sally is sweet and nice, but I'm going to excuse myself from this whole course. See, now we find ourselves sitting in church. We look around, and in same fashion, our culture has excused themselves from this thing called church. They're not interested anymore. That's a fact. And I think that they just got tired of us teaching people to please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. I think people have wanted more, but the church, for many reasons, has held back what we have been taught in seminary and what modern scholars are discovering about the teachings of the early church. Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Milk is good, but there is a point in our development as humans where we crave more than milk. Paul saw the problem of how early churches had settled on simple milk to feed those who were seeking richer spirituality. And Paul wanted to go deeper with the Corinthian church just 30 years or so after Jesus had passed. Today, we're going to go deeper. As we enter into this season of Christmas, the nativity scene will become more and more the centerpiece of what Christmas is all about. We will hear a fantastic story of a carpenter who has a royal lineage, but in both gospel accounts, maybe you haven't looked for yourself, it's very confusingly stated. In both stories, David's lineage is linked to Joseph. And if Joseph is the one related to David, and Jesus is born of a virgin, 
then what good does that do in connecting Jesus to David's royal lineage? In Matthew, the genealogy is laid out conveniently in three sets of 14. If you know Hebrew, Aleph, Be, Gimel, Dale, He, each letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a numeric value. So Aleph is one, Be is two. If you add up David's name in Hebrew, it equals 14. So in Matthew, if you were to look in your Bibles, it's in three sets of 14. It almost sounds like somebody wants you to memorize this, just because it's more helpful. If you look in Luke, he adds 57 names, 57 generations, all back to a lineage that goes to Adam. And he skips around a little bit and plugs each generation just to make it work. You can open up your Bible. It's fun activity to do this afternoon. It's all interesting stuff, and my grandpa used to always question me when I'd come back from church, asking me questions like this to tempt me into being a skeptic. And it worked. In fact, it's our whole generation, our whole nation is skeptical. We're Westerners. And in being skeptical, I really had to ask myself tough questions about the Bible, whether or not this book was true. To find out if something's true, what do you do? Put it to the test. When you line up all of the gospel narratives, you can see the issues. You won't even need my help. You can just open it up and look for yourself. Those who believe the Bible is inspired by God will disregard any error and say, it's our fault. We just can't see it. It's human's fault. And those who want to believe will struggle to reconcile it. They'll be good Christians and won't ask any questions. But like we're seeing, a lot of people haven't even touched or opened a Bible in a very long time. You see, we don't have a VHS and we don't have a USB disc. What we have is the memory of the people back then. And how did people memorize things? Through stories, songs, poetry, like I said before. All sorts of devices. Matthew and Luke come later than Mark and were put together using Mark. John may have used Mark, but we have some insight to make us believe that it came from an independent source. Like PEMDAS, the, story of old, the storytellers of old were trying to get us a message. The story, the logos. They wanted us to understand this Jesus character they encountered. They wanted to give you the story of Jesus, and so they gave us four stories through the camcorder. They don't have a camcorder. The only camcorder they have is their mind. Two of the Gospels simply start where we started today, Matthew chapter 3. But the other two, Matthew and Luke, they're the ones who give us the nativity story. They add the birth narrative. In only two of the Gospels is there a birth narrative. In all of the Gospels is what we read today in Matthew chapter 3. So why did Matthew and Luke include this nativity story? Well, they wanted to tie Jesus' story into the story of the Old Testament, just in case 
that might not be clear. Jesus is not some new teacher. He's coming out of the old story. And so the authors connect Jesus to that story through lineage. If the nativity story does it for you, just the way it is, we'll, we will have many weeks as we've already had many years to celebrate it just as it was. It's a beautiful story, as unbelievable as it may sound. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally is a wonderful mnemonic device, but we know it's telling us something different. And I think that the nativity itself is a device, a story that points to something. And to find out that something, we don't have to go far. We simply need to begin in Matthew chapter 3, our text for today and this week's Advent scripture from the lectionary. If you read closely, you will see language that is found unanimously in all of the Gospels. It is in this nativity story, in this way of looking at it, through the eyes of John the Baptist, that the story of the nativity really gives meaning, at least for me. Matthew begins his story by doing his very best to connect Jesus to the old story, Matthew is concerned with the big story of Scripture and wants to make sure that Jews and Gentiles understand that Jesus isn't bringing something new, not any new religion. He's connecting his new interpretation of God, Jesus' new interpretation, to the old. And if you flip through Matthew, the first three chapters, you'll see the author constructing a story that's based around what the ancient prophets spoke in regards to a new king coming into the world, a savior who would make Jerusalem great again. The chosen people of Israel would be the people of God and have power. They'd have their own king, their own army, and their own temple. For Matthew and Luke, this is important, but for Mark and John, it's not. They leave it out. But remember, they didn't have a camcorder. The info they had on Jesus, for the most part, was based on other people's experiences who walked with Jesus. It was likely that the nativity, the whole scene, was simply a story that was made up to fill in the loose ends. It was the device that would get kids, get adults, get people distant from the story, right on the same page. John and Mark both jump right into John the Baptist and skip over this, but maybe they wanted a better beginning. Maybe for them it would be a more complete story. Who here knows off the top of their head Matthew chapter 3? Who here knows what the nativity is? Everybody. Even, you don't have to be a Christian to know. Everybody knows. Good device, right? It worked. We remember that. But we should, we got to remember it for a reason. If we just look at, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, we've missed the whole point of PEMDAS. The way Matthew writes 
He wants to start his play with a narrative that most scholars agree, as I said before, likely did not happen exactly the way it says in our Bibles. But these stories were not meant to be factual. If you lived back then, they would know this. You know, your USB stick, anybody used to have the Lion King on tape? What's value? What has value? The tape or what's on it? Now we have the Lion King on our cloud. What's valuable is the content. It's not the surface that's valuable. It's what's underneath. And the stories in the Bible, it's what's underneath them that is really important. What the people wanted us to know, what these gospel writers wanted us to know, that from an ancient and archaic story, a new story was coming into the world. When we line up the nativity data, the scripture, and lay it out all next to the other accounts, the image of what we get when we put it all together, it's quite amazing. What some historians and scholars might say is a fictional story that could never happen or take place is actually the most powerful image and recording of what was happening for those people at that time. John the Baptist announces it in our passage today and what he wants us to see that from within the Jewish story something new is born. This is not just another story. It's absolutely connected to the old one. And you'll hear a birth narrative that reminds us of the magic of creation, a virgin giving birth. I want you to hear the symbolism here. Scientists believe that our universe is barren and empty, but there doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense when a life form pops up. From nothing comes life, a virgin giving birth. From a barren universe comes earth. That shining star guiding all people to this very point in time is creation proclaiming, pay attention to this moment. This is the point on the graph that you need to see. Some may miss it. Wise men see it and they're happy for it, but some kings are threatened by this and want to kill it. What the gospel writers wanted us to know, what Matthew and Luke wanted us to know, is that in the hustle and bustle of everyday life, among shepherds, even in barns, like a newborn baby, a new idea can enter a scene. And you might miss it, so you got to pay close attention. You see, the nativity doesn't have to be an event but rather a shift in the story. Unto us a child is born. Unto us an idea is born. Unto us a new word coming out of the old word is born. Men were often the ones who mattered when it came to genealogy. This story would be born of a woman 
No man's help needed. Begun without the seed of man. Even Eve is often blamed in the garden for causing all the problems in the world. But now a woman will bring about the resolution for all the problems in the world. Blessed are you, Mary, above all women. You see, we have a description in John of exactly who Jesus is. They don't call him baby Jesus. They call him the Word. The story wrapped in human flesh. The story of the Old Testament was coming alive in this very moment. Stone tablets were now being turned into living hearts. What was once mysterious and veiled is now being revealed. Shepherds hear it. It can happen right down the block in the barn. But do we see it? The magic of the nativity moment. John tells us what Jesus was doing and why this baby was so important. He says, I baptize you with water. Water baptism was something they used to do back in the day. John was saying, I'm not bringing anything new. I'm cleaning you on the outside. But one is coming who is greater than me, and he's going to clean you all up with fire. He's going to clean the inside of you. And he's going to finish the work God promised to finish from the day he made all creatures. Jesus was going to show us the way to God. Not everyone would follow. People were afraid of Jesus. He was telling them to stop judging others through archaic laws, to worship where they were, and that everyone was welcome to the kingdom. He was telling them that demons were not real, that their caste system was broken, that we should consider it a treasure not to collect money, but rather give generously to those in need. And finally, most important, do you know the word hypocrite in Greek is actually translated to actor? And Jesus often called everybody hypocrites because he wanted religion to be more than a mask people wore, more than just something they wore or checked off. Jesus wanted to show us that the way you get into heaven is not by following commandments, but it's by the intent of your heart. Humanity had to grow up. No more milk. If you read the Old Testament, you will read the story of a very uncivilized people. And if you read our history books, you'll read the same. Humans are evolving. And the disciples wanted to point out to us that they were witnessing the shift. That someone came to them 2,000 years ago and showed them the way. The way to change. The way to growth is so straining and hard. You know, to build muscle, you have to rip and tear muscle. And Jesus was going to rip and tear his way through Jerusalem, flipping every table over till he made the point clear. It's time to make religion more than 
surface. He calls out to the Pharisees, saying, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? To give birth so much pain is dealt. But Jesus shows us that if we are willing to suffer, well, well that's another holiday. That, that'll happen at Easter. When we read the story of Jesus, you will not find one instruction to worship him. He never wanted anybody to worship him. His only instruction was this. Follow me. Follow me. John the Baptist wants us to know this is the key data on the USB disk. This is what the picture is revealing. Don't get distracted by your dear Aunt Sally. She doesn't exist. Don't get distracted by fantastic stories. Rather, get the message they wanted to pass down with the only technology they had to pass information down with. And what I read today, when I'm personally understanding the story to be speaking to us today, is this. That nativity scene is happening right now. It can happen every day when we are willing to learn from the past, when we are willing to grow in our thinking, when we let old stories become new stories. Because if that day was the only day worth worshiping, if miracles only occurred 2,000 years ago, then Jesus would have never said this, and you people will do much greater things than me. His story connected into their story, and our story connects to his. This is the miracle of the nativity, and this is what John declared was the miracle of the birth of Jesus. The holiday stroll is taking place right down the block. There's a live nativity scene. We'll act out the pageant, the Christmas nativity here in our church. And for many Christians, that's all Christmas will be about. Today, I want to invite you into what the wonder of the nativity is for me and what I believe it was for the disciples back then. If that nativity set means anything over there, it means that a new story is waiting to be born. It comes from the old one. And new is cute, it's sweet, but it represents change. And change is the very definition of evolution. Jesus represents the soul of humanity, the spirit and essence of who we are. And we must embrace change. We must grow from having it all together on the outside to people who have it all together on the inside. The church looks beautiful, right? That's why I came here. It's a beautiful building, and we take care of it, but it took 300 years. It takes a lot of work. Barbara and Georgia will tell you that to keep this place looking beautiful. 
May our hearts be places of such beauty. May our inward lives become temples where the Spirit dwells. And may the fruit of that become evident on the outside in our everyday lives. Amen.